You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. Got uh, my friend Carmi Levy joining uh, me today from uh, Ontario. We are Canada's number one tech radio program. We've got an interesting show today. We're going to talk about dynamic pricing and is it coming to fast food? Wendy's, uh, it, it uh, appears, has some new digital menu boards coming out and uh, they want to use AI to kind of use algorithms to adjust the pricing up and down. Maybe it's kind of busy there. They're going to raise the prices on the chicken nuggets because they take a long time to, to make. Maybe they got some extra hamburgers. They can lower the price automatically. How do you feel about that? Well, we'll get into some of the details. And the Apple car. It's been rumored for so many years. Well, we've got the latest on that uh, as well. Plus an exciting new contest starting this week, giving away a Google Pixel phone and $250 to give to your favorite charity. We're going to be talking with the Friendly Future Foundation uh, in a little while to tell you how you can win that. So, Carmi, thanks again for joining me. Great to be with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Just wanted to get into some of the the news items that we're having a look at uh, today. This was kind of uh, an interesting one. And again, it has to do with AI, which we're talking about all the time now. Tyler Perry is a, uh, a major force in uh, the film and TV industry in the U.S. and the world, for that matter, actor, producer, director. Uh, he he makes a lot of very successful movies, you know, raking in billions of dollars. And he was looking at expanding his studio, like putting in $800 million for a studio expansion. I believe it was in Atlanta, Georgia. And he's putting that on hold after seeing OpenAI's new Sora video program that is a text-to-video program. You can type in text, hey, I want a, a video clip of this woman walking in Times Square, and it'll spit out like uh, a high-res, high-quality video for you, just generated by AI. So this is kind of freaking them out. It is. I and mean, you know, all, all you needed was one demo, and he said it was, it was shocking the quality that Sora, this tool, could output. Uh, he essentially said, you know, I don't need, you know, if, if I want to generate a video, I don't need a soundstage. I don't need to hire uh, camera people. I don't need to build the set. I don't need any of the, these things that I'm spending $800 million to build. I can do it all in software. Uh, but Tyler Perry being Tyler Perry, he was, of course, very pensive about it, very thoughtful about it. He said, look, I, I understand that it gives me as a business person the capability, but as the center of my community, it means that thousands of people's jobs are now up in the air and we owe it to ourselves as an industry, as a country, uh, to discuss what that impact really means and how we need to prepare for it. So, you know, as a business person, he's scaling back his investment. He says that he doesn't need to spend $800 million, but there needs to be a national discussion about uh, the, 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 the fidelity of these tools and how easily they can create incredible content uh, and what that means for an industry that might, you know, potentially see a good chunk of its uh, producers, camera people, makeup people, set builders, you name it, uh, out of work because now you can do in software what you used to take a soundstage and thousands of, of skilled employees. Um, so he's he's sounding the alarm and he says we all need to sit down and have this this generational existential conversation. Uh, otherwise, we're going to get caught uh, in this storm. And, you know, we ultimately want to be able to determine our future. Um, we don't get to do that if we don't have that conversation now. He's not wrong. I've I've seen some of these tools, uh, you know, oh. when it comes to 
when it comes to text to imagery, it is like we're it, it's like next level now. Midjourney.io is one of those tools. I can't even tell the difference, uh, you know, from a real photo to the photos it generates, uh, you know, at this point. And video is the next leap. And with this new tool, Sora, uh, from OpenAI, this is the same folks that do ChatGPT. They're only limiting it to, I think, one minute videos right now. They're, they're testing it. Mm. But I, I've seen some of the the screen captures. It It is amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, one of the ones that I saw was based on a prompt, you know, show me some golden retriever puppies frolicking around in the snow. And, and I think we all love a good picture of frolicking puppies in the snow. And the, the, the quality was just, it was mind boggling. It was smooth. It was incredibly crisp. Uh, the dogs moved like, like an actual dog. I leaned into the video to kind of look for those tells, those obvious signs that it's AI that, you know, sometimes there are glitches in the ointment, so to speak. And I couldn't find any, it was pitch perfect. It was like I was watching an actual video. I wanted to reach out and pet those dogs. And so if you, if, if that's where we're at now, even with those obvious limitations, 60 seconds max, no audio, um, you know, but we know full well that that technology is going to improve. They're going to, they're going to loosen those limits. Eventually the videos will be any length you want. Uh, audio will be included and it will be just as high fidelity as the video is. And so at that point, do we even need reality at all? We're blurring that line. Um, and the and the industry whose only output is content uh, is probably that canary in the coal mine. It's the first one uh, that stands in the way of this rapidly advancing technology. They're the ones who are most vulnerable. If you are, uh, you know, an actor or you're doing sound editing or video editing, uh, you know, what use is your job if all of that can be replicated in software? We've been talking about this potential for years, but as tools like Sora are released. Uh, we realize that it's no longer on the horizon. It's here now. It is truly here now. And you're talking about actors. They can be replaced by AI. Even uh, for voiceovers, you know, my company, we do a lot of videos and, you know, we use narrators and, and voiceover artists. The voiceover AI that I have heard lately, it is it is amazing, Carmi. Like it's, it's, again, next level. And is it perfect? No, but I can see within one year it being perfect. Like I don't think people would be able yeah. to tell the difference. And I, I always draw a line and I go, you know, it doesn't even have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough. And for most of us, as we consume content, watch video, listen to audio, whatever it is, if it's good enough, uh, you know, then that'll be enough for, uh, you know, the revolution will continue. We're going to take a break. So much more to talk about on today's program. We're going to be talking about the Apple car. Is it true? Is it coming? Is it gone? And uh, also Wendy's, they want to raise and lower the prices using AI on their menu boards. How do you feel about that? But coming up, we're going to be talking with the Friendly Future Foundation over at TELUS, and uh, we're giving away a Google Pixel phone. We'll give you all the details back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Yagerbo here in studio. Uh, very excited uh, this week uh, for the month of March. We're running a really cool contest uh, with the help of the folks over at the TELUS Friendly Future Foundation, giving away a Google Pixel phone and a $250 gift card to the charity of your choice. I wanted to bring uh, these folks on. We've had them on the program before because they're doing some really great uh, stuff when it comes to giving here in Canada. And uh, today we're going to be talking about some of the student bursary of uh, uh, student bursaries that uh, they're doing uh, to help uh, some students uh, get ahead. On the line, we've got uh, Nimi Kanji. Thanks for joining us, Nimi. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. 
from uh, we've had you on before talking about AI, and now we're talking about uh, giving. So uh, this is kind of exciting. Uh, tell the folks what the uh, the Friendly Future Foundation is all uh, about. Absolutely, the uh, Friendly Future Foundation um, is our Telus Corporate Foundation. Uh, it was a, it's a Canadian registered charity. Uh, we launched it in 2018. And really our central belief um, with the foundation is that all youth deserve equal opportunity to reach their full potential. Um, and so, you know, as, as a result of this mission and this mandate for the foundation, uh, every year we fund at least 500 or more Canadian charities annually. Um, and specifically, we focus on charities that are, you know, supporting education and health programs uh, in support of underprivileged youth in particular. Uh, many of these programs are enabled by technology, which, of course, we love. Um, and like last year, as an example, we donated over $9 million in grants to 550 charities. And then, as you mentioned, uh, we also have our bursary program, which we're very proud of. Um, the bursary program provides hundreds of bursaries to youth in financial need every year. Um, we launched in 2023. Um, and we, in our inaugural year, we actually uh, provided close to $2 million in uh, bursaries. Uh, to over 400 post-secondary students. So um, really exciting stuff that we're doing with the foundation. Yeah, I, what I like about TELUS, I, you know, an, a lot of corporations, that you know, they, they give money to charity, but it, it seems that that whole giving is like integrated, like right throughout the company, really. Yeah, that's exactly right. One of our kind of main mantras is uh, that we give where we live. And the TELUS Friendly Future Foundation really enables us to do that. Um, we work in close collaboration with 13 community boards across Canada. And um, through the community boards and through through the foundation, we actually provide these grants, as I mentioned, to um, these charities that are operating in kind of all corners of Canada, and specifically those that are, are doing great things uh, to support their local communities. So it's the foundation is truly about giving where we live. So let's talk about these student bursaries. What what are these all about? Uh, you said you've given out uh, a couple million dollars uh, in in this regard. Who who is it uh, aimed at? What kind of students? Yeah, so uh, the program, as I mentioned, it uh, launched in 2023. Um, it is the largest national bursary fund in Canada, and it was created uh, through a $25 million endowment gift, a very generous gift from our founding donor, TELUS. Um, and in addition to that, the foundation has committed an additional $25 million uh, through fundraising to support the bursary. So um, the bursaries are targeted at youth that are um, entering or already in post-secondary education. Uh, we target youth that are aged 17 to 29. Um, and specifically, we we want to target those youth who are obviously keen to pursue their education and are finding you know uh, you know running up against financial barriers. But in addition, we are looking specifically for youth who are not only committed to their own education, but they're also committed to driving positive change in their communities. So you know we've got examples of youth who are doing really amazing things in their community to give back, and uh, that's really key in terms of the type of, of youth that we're looking for. Um, you know, in terms of the bursaries specifically, uh, the bursaries are up to $5,000 in value and students can use them to help cover tuition fees for, you know, diploma programs or their undergrad programs at uh, Canadian post-secondary institutions. Do you have any stories of students uh, that have received this? It'd just be interesting, I think, for the audience to kind of know where, you know, where it's going and how it, how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when I think about our 2023 cohort, um, we're extremely proud of uh, the, the 400 kind of plus students who we've supported through the bursaries. Um, they're currently, you know, enrolled in 75 different fields of studies um, across 40 different post-secondary institutions. So it's a very wide group of youth that we're supporting. 70% um, of them are coming from equity deserving groups. So, you know, they identify as Black, First Nation, Métis, Inuit. Uh, many are refugees and, and newcomers. And I've, I've got a couple of examples of those specifically. 
Um, you know, over half identify as female. Um, and what what we think is really cool is 40% of them are are the first in their family to be pursuing post-secondary education in Canada. So we're really kind of helping change a cycle of, um, you know, youth and, and underprivileged families and, and being able to kind of make a difference uh, in the lives of these youth. Um, I do have some stories if you'd like me I'd to love, share. Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, sounds good. So um, Clementine uh, is one individual who we are extremely proud of. She's in her third year um, at Carleton University. Um, super cool. She's pursuing a double major in human rights and social justice, as well as women, women and gender studies. Um, her story is really neat. And we've actually had the opportunity to support Clementine in a couple of different ways. So Clementine entered foster care um, at the age of nine years. And, uh, you know, she spent the next 10 years kind of moving in and out of a variety of homes. And obviously this is, you know, this can be a very challenging thing for for youth in foster care. Um, we first met Clementine when she transitioned out of foster care, um, kind of aged out of the system, if you will. Um, and at that time, she connected with TELUS, where um, she enrolled in our Mobility for Good program for youth. Uh, and that's a program where we give youth that are leaving foster care access to a free phone and a free rate plan for two years, um, just to help them kind of get on their feet and have the connectivity they need. So that was when we first met Clementine. And then recently, we've um, extended support again through the bursary program. Um, and so through this bursary, uh, we're helping Clementine um, pursue kind of step one in her ultimate goal. So she obviously wants to get her, her degree, um, but ultimately she wants to earn a PhD. And her main goal is to help transform the child welfare system. So given her own experience in the system, uh, she wants to you know help better enable the safety and dignity of ch other children that are in, in foster care and ensuring that they have a positive uh, experience in the system and, and feel you know the support uh, that they need to be able to thrive. What a great story. And, you know, you're talking about these students that don't always have these opportunities. This is like uh, a really good first start to help get them into the education system to get them on their way to uh, hitting some of their goals. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I talked about how um, our program uh, has supported a number of refugees and, and newcomers to Canada. So, you know, another amazing uh, individual who uh, who, who uh, was awarded with the bursary last year uh, is Nebu. Um, we call him Neb for short. Uh, Neb is enrolled in uh, York University in, in Toronto. Um, Neb is also pursuing a double major in criminology and business. Um, and he does incredible work kind of beyond just pursuing his education. He's a faculty director, a campus commissioner, and also a VP of the Criminology Society at school, which is amazing. Um, he makes time for it all. Um, and what's cool about Neb's story is, is again, it's a story of hardship. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Neb and his family had to move from Canada uh, from Yemen uh, after the civil war began. Um, and so obviously a story of hardship, moved to Canada and uh, immediately Nev wanted to give back. So in grade 10, he actually started volunteering in support of uh, the homeless. Um, and then uh, he also founded an organization called Brothers for Brothers, uh, which is a really cool initiative. It's a, a mentorship program uh, that is aimed at supporting black male youth uh, and supporting them in their mental health. And um, so he's doing all of this in addition to pursuing his education and his ultimate goal is to become a lawyer um, and advocate for uh, social justice. And, uh, you know, he's told us that the bursary has been life changing for him because it's allowed him to spend, you know, less time um, with his part time jobs. Um, and it's kind of opened up some time and opportunity for him to focus on his schoolwork and then obviously continue to do the great community work uh, that I that I mentioned. We're talking with uh, Nimi Kanji from the TELUS Friendly Future Foundation about some of the great work they're doing here in Canada, giving back to communities, and specifically uh, today about some of the student bursaries uh, 
that uh, they're helping, uh, you know, very deserving uh, uh, students here in uh, in Canada. Uh, Nimi, where can people find out more information about this and even, you know, you know, in, enroll or, or sign up, uh, you know, for an opportunity to, uh, you know, get access to these uh, bursaries? That is great. I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because we actually have um, our app. Our application window is just opening up. So youth that are interested in applying for the bursary can apply starting from March 25th to April 24th. Uh, they can apply via the Telus Friendly Future Foundation. So they can go to our website and, and go through the application process online. Um, and we've also partnered with a number of educational uh, institutions across the country um, that are also helping get the word out about the bursary program. So as an example, the University of Victoria um, or Northern Alberta Institute of NAIT uh, here in Edmonton um, Humber College, McGill University. Um, also, Inspire. Uh, Inspire is a national Indigenous uh, charity that uh, invests in the education and support of Indigenous youth. Uh, so they're also helping us get the word out. So there's lots of ways to kind of get involved and to apply. Um, but I definitely want to let let youth know that if they're interested in applying, uh, the window is coming up from March 25th uh, to April 24th. We've been talking with Nimi Kanji from the Telus Friendly Future Foundation. Uh, we love to have these folks on because they're just doing some great work. I love when tech companies uh, really give back to uh, uh, Canadians and uh, and the communities that we uh, all uh, live in. And to to help kind of just bring some light to that, uh, we are giving away a, a Google Pixel phone and a two hundred fifty dollar uh, charity. It's almost like a gift card. Uh, two hundred fifty dollars you can uh, donate to your favorite charity, and this is all. Uh, uh, courtesy of uh, TELUS and uh, the Friendly Future Foundation. Uh, Nimi, thank you. It's always, always uh, great to have you on the program. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Uh, one last thing, if you don't mind, um, I would encourage folks to uh, follow the TELUS Friendly Future Foundation on social as well. Um, it's at Friendly Future Foundation. We're on Instagram, um, X, and, and other platforms. Certainly encourage people to follow because that's where they'll hear the latest and the greatest about the bursary program opening up and, and the window to apply. Dynamic pricing has been around for many years now, and it's kind of the way that uh, a lot of companies work. Uh, the airlines are a great example uh, with their tickets. You'll notice the prices are going up and down all the time. That's dynamic par- pricing based on demand. Carmi, uh, this is used in all sorts of different industries. Sure. I mean, if you think about it, it's it's a way for companies to manage limited resources. If you're a Wendy's, for example, everybody wants to come to your restaurant at lunchtime. And so there's this crush of demand lineups out the door because everyone has to get their, their lunch and then get back to the office. Whereas in the middle of the afternoon, you could roll a bowling ball through your typical fast food restaurant and not hit anybody. So wouldn't it be cool if, if they could level out that demand, for example, you know, maybe lose, li- limit some of that demand during the lunch hour and maybe bring more people in during the day, uh, manage their staffing better, manage their costs a little bit better. You wouldn't have these extreme swings uh, through the day. And that ultimately helps the bottom line. And you do that by encouraging uh, individuals with pricing. You'll pay more for coming in during a high demand period. You might get a break during the low demand period. That's what dynamic pricing is. It's the same as surge pricing. It's what we've seen with airline bookings since the beginning of time. It's what Uber and Lyft have used and other gig economy players have used as well. Uh, And so Wendy said they were going to try the same thing, install those electronic menu boards, similar to the ones we've seen in Tim Hortons for years, uh, that adapt to the changing situation through the day as the weather changes, as traffic changes. 
uh, for as as even the news headlines, all sorts of inputs go into deciding what you see when you go into a store. Wendy's proposal was to do that as well as adapt the pricing to encourage the kinds of behaviors that would normalize or limit the exposures in demand. It's no different than what we've seen elsewhere, but I guess people think a burger is a little bit different than a ride in an Uber car because, wow, were people not happy about it. And they certainly took the company to task when they announced the plan. Yeah, I found that interesting. Uh, when I when I read the headline, I'm like, yeah, I get it. But like, why hasn't this been happening already? You know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I'm not excited about the prices going up for my chicken nuggets. Uh, but at the same time, I could see it as an incentive to move some more hamburgers. Maybe, you know, they've got some hamburgers under the heat lamp. Maybe they got excess inventory of patties and they want to kind of get that through the system. I can see how, you know, pricing incentives would make that work. But I, I guess at the same time, it it has its downsides as well. Like uh, with Uber, you talked about surge pricing. You know, when it gets busy, they use increased prices uh, to the consumer to get more drivers on the road, right? Because the drivers can make more money. I guess that's the theory behind it. But it doesn't always work out that well. You know what I mean? Like if there's some sort of um, major weather event or catastrophe, yeah. the prices go up and it's kind of been a, like a black black mark against them. Exactly. We had a, a major weather event uh, a couple of years ago and a massive storm suddenly rolled through town. Uh, and then almost without skipping a beat, uh, everyone, of course, you know, some people had their cars incapacitated because the tree fell on them. So they needed to get around. And so, so demand for Uber, of course, skyrocketed. Prices went through the roof. And a lot of people accused the company of taking advantage of an entire region at a time when they really were vulnerable. And so there's always that risk of the algorithm making it look like the company is gouging people when they're at their lowest and you know they need a handout, they need help, not, you know, here, pay more because demand is high. Um, and so I, I think we, we expect it to a certain degree in rideshare, but we're not happy about it. Uh, and I think we also expect that it really should cut both ways. In other words, I understand that I'll probably pay more for that burger at lunchtime or dinner time when their lineup's out the door, but you should also offer me the opportunity to maybe come in the middle of the afternoon when things are quiet or late in the evening and charge me less for that burger or those nuggets or those fries. And so it can't simply be about goosing revenue for the platform. It should be about you know allowing us the opportunity to decide if we want to pay more during a high demand period or if we want to pay less during a low demand period. But make sure that balance is off on both sides of the ledger. Don't just rip us off by goosing prices and then not reducing them at other times. Carmi, it is about goosing the pricing to, <laughs> to get, oh, it more, is. To get more revenue. <laughs> Of, of course, it's always about maximizing revenue, but at some point, right? You, it, it, this is the kind of behavior that ticks consumers off. And I've been my social media feeds have just been filled with people saying ever since that if they go ahead with this, I am done with Wendy's. I will go somewhere else. I will not eat somewhere where they willingly use an algorithm to rip me off. And even if even if I know that that's what they're doing, I have a choice. And if Wendy's is the only company that's doing it, guess what? They're not getting my business. Carmi, you and I both know that Wendy's is not going to be the only one doing it if they do move forward with uh, with this. I guess my concern is, you know, jacking up the prices after, uh, you know, a hockey game. You know, the Cal Calgary Flames just, you know, let out uh, of the stadium, you know, the, the nearby Wendy's. And I'm just using Wendy's because they're in the news right now. Uh, yeah. And they, they jack the prices up because they know they can. Or, you know, late night uh, after the bars close. 
and they jack the prices up because they know all the drunk people will pay more. It, that just doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't. And, and, and I think they have to kind of look, one is, is it's a revenue optimization problem. And there's a lot of math that determines where that pricing goes during a period of high demand. But yeah, the other half of the ledger is, are you satisfying your customers and are you treating them in a respectful way? Are you engaging in a transaction that has lots of transparency, uh, that is fair to them in all of the engagement types that they have with you at any time, uh, or are you treating them like a resource to, to be squeezed? Uh, and so if you're allowing the algorithms to win here and you're not considering the softer costs of implementing this payment model, um, I think you run the risk of, of disenchanting consumers and that at some point, yeah, even if everyone starts using it, consumers will start changing their behaviors slowly, but on a long-term basis. And over time, maybe we won't be going to fast food restaurants as often as we do. Maybe we will be ordering from them less. Maybe the brand will be tainted because the brand that Dave Thomas created that, you know, sort of felt all warm and fuzzy. Well, maybe I don't want to engage with a brand that's no longer so warm and fuzzy. And I think there are costs to this that companies considering uh, a surge based model really need to consider uh, and should think twice about in terms of how they continue to cultivate that long-term relationship with their customers. Again, we're talking about dynamic pricing uh, here on Get Connected. You know, Wendy's announced, uh, I, I don't think uh, overly publicly, but uh, they have new menu boards coming out. They were looking at using dynamic pricing to, you know, lower and raise the prices of certain menu items, depending on different factors and, and demand. Uh, but I guess what I'm just trying to, you know, get across here, this is happening already. And we, you know, I, I don't know if most people even know it. Amazon, they are the biggest users of, of this pricing mm -hmm. strategy. Do you know how many times a day they they raise or lower the prices? Constantly. I mean, you refresh the app or refresh in your website and the numbers will change. And two, and a, it, two and a half it, million it, times per day. Two and a half million times. Uh, Doesn't that yeah, blow your mind? Think of all the factors that are feeding into that and think of all the the things that a company the size uh, of Amazon has to consider when it decides how much to charge something based on where you are and what you're experiencing at that moment. It is incredibly sophisticated. It almost blows the mind to think of how how complex that process would be. Taylor Swift. And again, I'm not singling out Taylor Swift because uh, you know all artists do it, especially through Ticketmaster. Dynamic pricing is involved with that as well. If there's a big sure. demand for artists, you bet that pricing is going to go up. Vending machines, yeah. uh, they're doing, a, you know, big trials in Japan with, uh, uh, you know, soft drink uh, vending machines, Coca-Cola, you know, so I guess if uh, it's hot outside, the Coke is more. If it's cold, the mm -hmm. Coke price goes down. It's a fundamental uh, pillar of capitalism, right? Is never sell anything for, for anything less than you can get for it at that moment. Maximize the revenue that you generate uh, for each specific transaction. And and now in 2024, we finally have technology in place that allows that to be deployed uh, on a widespread basis. And so no longer, it's no longer just Amazon. It could be the fast food restaurant near your house. It's any company that has these technologies either in store or online can now access it. It's no longer just the airlines uh, or, or you know, the, the, the ride share companies. Uh, it's becoming democratized. And I think we have to expect that. But at the same time, I think it's fair to say that this is done with a, a, a significant, significantly, significantly lower degree of transparency that a lot of consumers are comfortable with. 
companies are moving us in a direction that we're not really used to. We're used to knowing what something costs. And if that changes, we understand the factors behind it. That's not necessarily the case when we buy a plane ticket or when we order an Uber. We don't really have an understanding of what it's costing us or what it'll end up in the end or why, what's driving it. Uh, and I think all industries need to look at that transparency uh, issue as well and ask themselves what they can be doing to soften the blow to consumers and help them evolve those behaviors. Maybe 10, 15 years from now, uh, you know, this kind of algorithmically driven pricing will just be normal and we won't think twice about it. But this is new at this point in time. And the all industries need to figure out how to move consumers along so that they, so they don't feel like they're being ripped off in the process. We've been talking about dynamic pricing. Do you feel good about paying more or less based on demand of a hamburger or other factors? Well, we're going to start seeing it more and more. I think it's just a matter of uh, time. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about one of the biggest rumors uh, over the past decade and how it might finally be dead, the Apple car. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Eggerbo here with Carmi Levy. Don't forget to enter our contest uh, in conjunction with the TELUS uh, Friendly Future Foundation and their student bursary program. Uh, I think this is a, a really great thing uh, that these folks are doing, giving out student bursaries to students uh, that uh, need that uh, money for their education. And to help them get the word out, uh, we're giving away a great prize. Uh, you can go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com to enter. Giving away a Google Pixel phone. This thing is amazing. Great camera. Plus $250 to give to your favorite charity. You want more information? And find out more ways to enter and get more entries, getconnectedmedia.com. The Apple Car. This is uh, probably one of the biggest rumors uh, over the past decade. And no one's really got any major <laughs> details on it. That's how good it, how good Apple is kind of keeping this under wraps, if it even existed in the first place. Carmi, it seems this week there's a number of news outlets, including Bloomberg and Wired, saying that this project, it was uh, apparently codenamed Titan. And again, this is all from the rumor mill, is officially dead. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll believe it um, because this obviously for the last 10 years, the rumors have been that the company was working on it, a you know, competitor to, to Tesla in the $100,000 kind of range, electric vehicle, huge investments in autonomous technology. They had apparently uh, already been driving prototypes on the road for years. 2,000 people reportedly working on the project. Um, but, you know, uh, you know two letters uh, that explain why it's no longer a project that figures in Apple's future uh, is AI. Uh, and, you know, the world has changed significantly in the 10 years since this project was reportedly first launched. And AI is now increasingly kind of the future, not just of, of Apple as a company, but really of the entire industry. And as Microsoft and Google and others pivot and Amazon pivot toward uh, essentially building their go forward strategies around AI, um, you know, if, if you're putting tens of billions of dollars into an automotive project, which is a significantly different core competency compared to what you've done before, uh, you risk diverting resources away from AI. And so a car thing is nice to have, but the AI thing is a need to have. Uh, and Apple, of course, is already accelerating its spending in AI-related uh, investments. Uh, AI model coming later this year called Ajax. It's, it's incorporating AI into an ever-widening array of products. 
um, and it needs to keep pace. And if it continues to go pedal to the metal on, a, on an automotive project, it runs the risk of being distracted. Uh, even a company as, as huge and as well-resourced as Apple could uh, be distracted if they you know, put too many eggs in too many baskets. And so really, this is just recognizing that um, they're not going to dominate in cars to the same degree. And if they do, it's going to be a pretty steep climb. Uh, AI is much closer and much more critical to their future. And it just doesn't make sense to be pursuing automotive. They're out. So they're going to redirect those resources. A lot of the, uh, the autonomy technology is based on AI that can be reused. Um, but, you know, if you thought that Apple was going to be building uh, assembly lines like Tesla, uh, those days are over. We'll leave that to Sony and Honda that are going to be introducing their own electric vehicle next year. I wonder if the intent was to truly bring out a car or develop technologies that could be used in all cars. If, you know, I'm not like a, an automotive manufacturing expert, but I, I kind of get the idea that it's hard to make a car. You know, I look at Tesla mm -hmm. and it's not like they're an overnight success. They've been doing this for more than 10 years and it's only recently that they finally have gotten momentum and, and scale to actually punch out, you know, millions of vehicles. I remember the days when they could only punch out thousands and that's not how you get rich in, in a company. So, and Dyson, you remember Dyson, they had their electric car that they were developing and they had to shut that down eventually. Cause I, I just wonder when you, at the end of the day, when you start looking at all the numbers of obviously developing the tech and, you know, there would be a huge amount of tech, you know, it's an EV, it would be self-driving, et cetera, et cetera. But then the manufacturing, like that is a whole other game in itself. Yeah. And that's just frankly, not something that Apple does well. Uh, in fact, Apple doesn't even do manufacturing of computer uh, products well on its own. It contracts those out to these, you know, massive uh, of, of factories in China and India and Vietnam and elsewhere. And so Apple's core competency is code, uh, whether we like it or not. And, and, and so indeed, Apple's future in automotive won't be uh, engineering and building the greasy bits, which is uh, as diametrically opposed to its core competency as you will ever get. Um, it's an ensuring that its software is as embedded in cars that other people build um, as it is in every other product that it produces today. And in, in fact, CarPlay as a technology, Apple is very, very aggressively pushing that well beyond its current fairly modest architecture. Up until now, it's been really little more than a screen mirroring infotainment interface screening your car. Whereas the next versions of CarPlay that are just starting to be seen now will take over not just the central screen, but the full dashboard. So you know, think your your odometer, your speedometer, all of the the driving controls of the vehicle, the heads up display, the actual interface with the car itself. Every control will be controlled by Apple software, and that's what Apple does well. Apple can differentiate itself there. I don't necessarily think an Apple car would have been so sufficient, so much greater than say a Tesla or a Mercedes or something from GM that Apple would have been able to pull it off. But if it puts all of its resources into the into the software that drives it, uh, I think it stands a reasonable chance of maintaining that position in front of the eyes of a driver. I don't care about the rest of the car. I just care what, what's displayed to me in the vehicle. And I think Apple has reached that same conclusion. It's interesting. You know, you talked about focus and they want to focus on AI and put the resources there, but don't they have enough resources to do 20 different... <laughs> new things. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's kind of what I thought. And, you know, you would think a, a, a company, I mean, this is the, 
it, it's the biggest tech company in the world. At various times, it's been the biggest company in the world. Um, and you would assume that they can pretty much take on any project they want, but um, and, and as many projects as they want at the same time. And resources should never be an issue. But thing is, Apple is a publicly traded company. It's subject to scrutiny by the financial markets. And investors do want to look inside and make sure that the company is being as efficient and purposeful as it can in the investments that it makes. And if you do spread yourself too thin, you will run afoul of investors and they will drive the share price down. They'll put their money elsewhere. So I think it's it's safe to say that there is a limit, even for a company as large as Apple, there is a limit to how many things they can do and that they are at that inflection point in their history where demand for their core product, the iPhone, is flatlining and they are investing heavily in Vision OS and the Vision Pro. Uh, which could be the next smartphone, and there are only so many. There are only so many projects that Apple can really devote itself to before it spreads itself too thin. And I think they very wisely decided to cut their losses now rather than try to sort of stretch uh, and then implode later on. It, an Apple car would not have been so much greater than any other car that it would have been worth pursuing. And I think this makes a lot of sense. It ensures that their AI initiative, their Vision Pro initiative other initiatives for the post iPhone era will get the resources and the attention that they deserve. That would not have been the case if Apple was also trying to establish itself as an auto manufacturer. They're all about their ecosystem as well. And I think that's one of the huge reasons for their success. Everything is tied in together, the hardware and then all the software, the app store, the music subscription, uh, you know, the gaming subscription, uh, magazines, you know what I mean? Like there's just yeah. all sorts of components where they're making huge profit on on these services and can, do you think they can take that into the car or is that just kind of part of the phone experience right now i think they can um i mean it's it's a little bit different because apple as it gets out of the automotive industry and it sort of goes it doubles down on automotive software it now still has to deal with automotive partners to ensure that they can support their platform it's like microsoft working with hardware vendors uh you know laptop and desktop hardware vendors uh, the integration isn't as clean as when you make all the hardware yourself, but I think in the automotive industry, Apple has has enough runway and they can pull it off. That's all the time we have left for the program. I want to thank Carmi Levy for joining me on the show. Don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. You want to win a Google Pixel phone and $250 you can give to your favorite charity? Well, it's all part of the Friendly Future Foundation from TELUS. They're partnering with us on that to uh, get the good word out about some of the things they're doing. Again, getconnectedmedia.com. We'll see you again next time.